Whether you're dealing with does in heat and bucks in rut, the winter blues, the marathon of kidding season in the spring, or show season in the summer, Nate Funk and John Kane of Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, are with you every step of the way, bringing you interviews from various breeders, judges, and others from all over the country. We're always covering the latest ad good news and covering topics to help make us all better dairy goat breeders. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. I'm John, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Nate Funk. Nate, how's it going? Oh, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Just uh, living the dream up here in central New York. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Well, we have a past New Yorker that is now living in Pennsylvania joining us this week. We have Joan Stump of Stump Hollow Farm. Joan has been breeding dairy goats in Pennsylvania since 1981 when they started with an Alpine Doe and Toggenberg weather. The family quickly decided they wanted to show and invested into their Alpine herd. Years later, Joan and husband Harold traded in the Alpines for Guernseys, and Joan has been the cavalier for the breed since. Joan is the current treasurer of Guernsey Goat Breeders of America and was an integral part of of getting the Guernsey breed recognized by ADGA. I personally am proud to own two of Joan's does and can't wait to learn even more about this breed that I have added into my farm. Welcome, Joan Stump. Good evening. <laughs> did I get did I get that all right, Joan? Well, I was never a New Yorker. <laughs> no? Oh, I thought you were. <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch, all right. <laughs> New Yorkers who used to be Pennsylvanians, or the, the parents used to be, let's put it that way. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So those that don't know, uh, that are listening in, uh, Joan is related to Nate, and Nate's dad, obviously. Uh, so it's kind of like a family reunion here this week. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I'm going to try to correct you, but you were on a roll there. Uh, oh, you know, once I get going, I get going. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's Nate's grandfather who used to live down here. He's my my father's brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Joan, as always, it's, it's really great to talk to you. Uh, I enjoy our conversations that we have over the phone uh, here and there. Uh, Nate and I know who you are. Uh, but can we get an elevator pitch for the audience on who you are and how you got into dairy goats and eventually Guernseys? Okay, well, like I said, I was born and bred down here in Pennsylvania. Uh, growing up, now this is something I've probably never told anybody before, I lived within a couple miles of P.K. Fisher's farm. He was the nation's largest, maybe even the world's largest breeder of Palominos. Uh, many, many of those animals to movie stars for, you know, for the Westerns. Uh, that's kind of what got me started. I mean, I was always a horse girl, lived on horse farms, even when I was just a little bitty thing. And, uh, like I said, I mean, it got me interested to that. In high school, even, I started reading everything I could find on breeding for color. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, in, in the 
backstacks of the library where they had the books on genetics and stuff like that. When, when I, after, soon after I got married, a couple of years after I got married, I, you know, there was no way I could breed horses. I, I, I just couldn't afford that. I started breeding Persian cats and I was breeding them for color, uh, basically for the cameos, uh, silver, shaded silvers and cameos, and the cameos are the gold colors. Oh, wow. When we moved out here to the country, my husband, within a few years, my husband decided he was going to build a barn for his antique uh, farm implements, and... When he did that, he went and stuck a little stall in there, decided that we should, you know, as long as he had a barn, we should have some sort of animal. And since, I mean, his, we had lived with his grandfather on his grandfather's farm for a while, and he had sheep, and there was no way I was having sheep. <laughs> so, you know, and, and this, in this, this township, I couldn't even have a pony because I didn't have enough land to meet the requirement. So for some reason, don't ask me how he got got it into his mind that he was going to have, oh, we'll get a couple goats. <laughs> oh, that was not something I was in favor of at first. My experience with goats was as a girl, and this was when my father's older sister and, you know, Nate's grandfather's older sister had to... Aunt Marion had two goats that she used to keep the woods at bay, and they were not nice guys at all. So <laughs> I was really, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I didn't know that I wanted to do this. But uh, I went with my husband to the 4-H fair, the local 4-H fair, and we met a few people, and we visited a few farms, and uh, still wasn't really into it and everything, but then we went up to visit Nate's grandfather, Aunt Mary and Uncle Willard, and they just, and he took me over to see, they, you know, Nate's father, David, and they went and got three-day-old baby goat in my arms, and that was the end of it. <laughs> oh, so, so we have Dave Funk to thank, huh? <laughs> I have to have one. So we went and, and found one of the 4-H families, picked up this little alpine doe. Her name was Snowflake. And uh, a little pog weather to go to keep her company. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the start of it. And then, and then it snowballed from there, huh? Oh, it always does, doesn't it? Oh, it sure does. Huh? The weather, and the only thing we could replace it with late in the season was another doe because everybody had gotten rid of their weathers. So now we had two does. We had, you know, the, the original uh, Alpine doe and a little Toggenberg doe. And then, uh, you know, that was kind of it for a couple of years. Till when they were just short of two years old, then Harold decided as long as they were going to be here eating, they were going to have to pay their way. And we found somebody who happened to have a book nearby and read them. And then the real game started, right? Yeah, and the fun started. 
So how many years did you have your Alpines before you transitioned to uh, Guernsey's? Okay, well, like I say, we started in 81 with Snowflake, and I, 97 is when I found out that that uh, Linda Campbell was going to be importing the semen, so I contacted her, and, you know, that, so what? That's what, I really hadn't decided I was going to go into another breed at that time, but I had a doe who was an, an American Alpine doe who was, could have passed her for a Guernsey. She was that color. She was oh, wow. gorgeous. Vicki Lynn, people who knew, who knew me back then, showing everything, everybody knew Little, uh, knew, uh, little Orchard Vicki Lynn. She won everything in sight, it seems. <laughs> Anyhow, by the, the semen came into California, and the girls out there, Sherry Rania and um, Diane Gray, got their semen, and the rest was in, it came in with a shipment of sheep semen, and it never got past uh, the people who had had the sheep semen. It was in their tank for, uh, I think we got it, finally got it in, was it 02, 01 or 02? Oh, wow. And then I got that semen. They, they decided they were getting a divorce, so that stuff got held up in a community type of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Until they decided that this wasn't part of their community property. They weren't the owners of this semen. You know, we were the owners of the semen, and they shipped it east. Oh, wow. But uh, then the day that I wanted to use it on was passed being able to be bred let's put it that way yeah hmm. so you know that that was kind of it then for i'm trying to think i guess that was kind of it until oh I'm trying to think when i got started with that i went to, went to convention in in one down in maryland and met uh Yeah, my mind goes completely blank. John and Hillary uh, from from England. Oh, okay. And uh, got to talking to them, and they, you know, meanwhile I'm talk, I, I'm emailing back and forth with, you know, with Christine Barr, and she's the gal who sent the semen. She's also the gal who arranged for the uh, frozen uh, embryos to go to Canada that eventually became the herd for uh, South Wind. Oh, okay. So that's, you know, I got interested in that, interested, more interested that way. When I found out that these animals from South Wind were at a farm only 20 minutes from where my brother lived <laughs> up there in New York, why I decided I got a hold of them and, did, and asked if I could come visit. And that kind of started it there. And uh, eventually, within that year, I arranged to buy the first buck, uh, Twin Panzer. Okay. So, oh, two was probably okay. when I really got, you know, into breeding Guernseys. So, so you went from just looking to buying a buck pretty quick. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, you know, at that point, let's put it this way. Actually, the year before... Now, back in 97, when this semen came, when we were ordering this semen, we ended up having, 
the having to join USDA scrapey program, that was a requirement. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So anyhow, okay. it, and one, I had decided, boy, maybe I can, it's only, you know, four hours away. I've done that before to get those bread. And I wanted to, I've made arrangements and uh, South Wind decided, yeah, you could bring a couple of those up to be bread. I had to clear it through the Pennsylvania USDA uh, head guy who contacted New York's head guy and then got back to me and told me, yeah, you can do it as long as you go up there and come back the same day. Oh, wow. Okay. So we, oh, wow. that's what I did. And out of the three doughs I took up there, one of them decided, no way is that guy with the big horns coming near me. <laughs> <laughs> See, and I think that's something some people don't realize is these, some of these uh, Guernseys have large horns on them. Right, and, and she normally the the shadow of those horns. Oh, you know, off to the side. She couldn't turn around and see him, but she could see the shadow. And there was no way she was going to let him touch her. And the other two, you know, I had no problem. They got bread. Doe number one uh, evidently sank the pregnancy at six about six weeks. And doe number two gave me two uh, kids. Uh, of course. You know, of which died within a couple of well, less than a day, actually. The vet seemed to think he had probably faulty kidneys or something. Anyway, but, uh, you know, I mean, then I thought to myself, gosh, darn it all. This is this is enough of this. That's when I went up, you know, like I say, that spring of 02. That's when I went up and decided, okay, I'm, I'm getting my own buck. Mm-hmm. So, that was... That was quite the process, obviously, having to go through the USDA, and I don't think people realize just to get the semen and the embryos over here from yeah. England was quite the feat. I mean, this was a pretty special thing to get this breed over here. Oh, yeah, especially, like I said, especially the South Wind Herd. Mr. Skynick, uh was in... He got introduced to the Golden Guernseys when he was over there at a livestock show, uh, and... I mean, he bred standard bred uh, race horses. So he was over there at evidently at a horse sale, and saw and somebody took him to one of the uh, trying to think what do you want to call them over there. It was like a you know like a, a farm that had all these all these these animals mm-hmm. had like a, its own little zoo. Okay. And he saw them, and he just he was very very into um, rare breeds rare breed cattle, you know, he was one of the first people into the boar goats, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, the man had money. Yeah. So, uh, okay. It, from what, from what, Christ, from what Christine Ball told me, it took, I forget how many years, but tens of thousands of dollars mm-hmm. to get this done. You know, have these, these, embryos produced and uh, shipped to Canada and he sent his boar goats up there to be implanted and then brought, not boar goats, I'm sorry, he had Spanish meat goats up there to be, you know, implanted and then brought down here and from what uh, I had heard from the farm manager, not all of those took. 
so what they ended up with when they had in fact when they found when they went to implant the the embryos they found that all the embryos from the one buck they had collected from two bucks the one buck were all not viable oh wow so all the born were all sired by the same buck wow and i think four different does Okay, so they were still able to get some kind yeah. of genetic variance. They should have been able to do, you know, do some, you know, some line breeding. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, also, you know, we're trying to have Christine find us find some bucks that that could be collected for semen to be sent over. Mm-hmm. Currently, or no, this was back then. I know. Uh, I remember, okay. you know, Laura was saying about needing, you know. I think she, they had gotten semen from two different bucks up there. In fact, uh, two one of the one of the semen she had ordered like twenty strolls of semen and everything, and twenty five came in because I took two. I, I said, "Don't don't destroy them." I said, "I'll take the other five. So I bought the other five from her. So oh, cool. So circling back uh, for those that are listening and don't know the Guernsey breed. What sets the Guernseys apart from the other standard breeds? Well, I say they, they're, they're like I said, kind of a moderate-sized animal. Very, very nice personality. Very uh, gentle, you know, uh, nature and everything. They are what I mean. They've been <laughs> some years ago. Doctor Sponenberg had contacted me about he was looking for hair samples to send to I think it was Cordova Spain University uh, because they were doing DNA of all the European goat breeds and they could not at that time they could not get Golden Guernsey um, DNA from England because of hoof and mouth this was in back in when was the, the last one? Was it? I'm trying to think when they had that. Oh, trying to think when they had the last the last little outbreak. It came not oh one. This that was the, the big outbreak. No, this was later on. There was another little little glitch where something uh. came up positive, and so this was the time they needed these these samples. I gave them what I had here because I had two bucks here. And at that time, Nina Schaefer had gone up to collect the bucks up at Southwind. So she got hair samples from a number of the bucks up there and brought them down here to me. And I sent this all off to Dr. Sponenberg and he shipped it over to Spain. And the results are that the Guernsey goats are unrelated through mitochondrial DNA, unrelated to any European Swiss breed. Oh, cool! That I didn't know that. Well, I say, I mean, there. I don't know where you can find a paper on it, but you probably can somewhere. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, we were all kind of, you know, wow. So now we're all wondering, you know, where did they come from? Thinking, you know, um, now the the theory is is that they are descendants of Maltese goats who are, 
you know, descendants of goats from Syria who are very much the same color, the long hair, you know, the very similar type of goat, uh, particularly to the Maltese there, very similar. And I, I know Christine Ball told me when she was in Greece, she saw goats that looked like they were Guernsey goats hmm. on several of the islands. But when they tested and, the DNA, uh, it didn't match, right? Yeah. So we were, I mean, that's never been checked tested or checked. I, I'd love it if they would. That'd be really interesting. But anyhow, they figured these animals were picked up, you know, probably, you know, on the island of Malta. Sailing ships used to go all along the coast of Europe and out through Gibraltar and up, you know, up to, to uh, Britain to get tin. They needed tin to make bronze. So, you know, they probably stopped off at these Channel Islands, dropped off dry goats, picked up you know, fresh ones, because, you know, in those days, ships carried their own milk and meat supply. Right. Right. So we figured that's probably how the original uh, animals were brought there and could have been for hundreds and hundreds of years. So you've mentioned a couple times um, Golden Guernseys and, and... you know, British Guernsey and all that. And listeners mm-hmm. might get confused because they hear the terms, you know, British Guernsey and Golden Guernsey and just Guernsey. Uh, what are the differences between those names for the for Guernseys? Okay. The Golden Guernsey is the purebred animal. Those were uh, the animals that were brought over from the from the Isle of Guernsey and a couple of the other islands where they were predominant and uh, usually right after the right after World War II they started importing some of these animals uh, there were several breeders who were really interested in that and uh, that that happened like I say right after the war they uh, they were all registered at the Golden Guernsey Society uh, on the island Guernsey they had their own their own books and stuff like that in 1975, though, the British Goat Society accepted the Golden Guernsey as one of their official breeds and opened books for them there. Then they closed the books. Nothing else can get in there. When some of the breeders decided they wanted to improve them and cross them onto some of the other uh, Swiss breeds and everything, they opened the British Guernsey book. Okay. So anything that's been graded up goes, no matter how pure it gets to be, it goes into the British Guernsey book. Kind of like American. Uh, well, we... Kind of like we the American use, Alpine or the... Alp, we, I mean, it's... It, it's British we, because it was Britain. Yeah, it'd be similar to doing that. Okay. You know, yeah, that's what I mean. It'd be similar to... Because it was Britain, the breeding up to British... Without, Here we're in America, in the United States, we breed up to American. That it, they all go into the same book, the Alpine book. Right. They're over there, they had two separate books. Okay. One for purebred, oh. one for, for British. Interesting. They do not have anything like experimental. There is no such thing as an experimental book over there. Okay. Anyhow, then, uh, with, like I said, so that's your, your purebred golden currency and the British currency. 
the what we decided we were going to use is just the word Guernsey. Mm-hmm. Because Golden Guernsey is a registered name. That would get us a lawsuit. Ah, okay. Same thing had happened with the cows back in the early 1900s. Unless your animals were registered with the, the Golden Guernsey cow, cattle business over there, you could not use the word Golden Guernsey. Hmm. That's why all, we, we started over here, started the Guernsey, the Guernsey cow. Interesting. Uh, okay. Thing. So anyhow, we decided we, we're just going to call them Guernseys. So, you know, I mean, you couldn't call them American Guernseys because then when you bred them up, then what would they be? American, American Guernseys? <laughs> right, right, right. Using the word just Guernsey, then when we do do have a breeding up program and everything, then they can become American that way. No, I like that. It's right. a smart idea for sure. I understand the book is going to be kept open so they you can breed up to purebred. Status with the with the Guernseys. Oh, cool! Wish they'd do that with a few other breeds. So, so oh, I it, there a couple that were. I don't know unless they just recently closed them. No, there are a couple. I think Lamanche and 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 I wasn't aware of that. So, so you're saying I can breed? Well, I'll, say I'll use like Oberhasli on one of my Guernsey does. And then I breed it up to American, and then eventually it'll be purebred? Yeah, maybe here, over here you can, but over there, that would not be allowed. Right. Only a one, right, one right. cross allowed, and it has to be a doe to a, a purebred buck. Gotcha. Okay. Very interesting. That's It's very interesting. It's almost like they treat Golden Guernseys and British Guernseys like two separate breeds over there. They treat them as two separate breeds. Okay. So, Guernseys were on display this year at Nationals and presumably will be on display next year at Nationals, but then they'll be ready to hit the big stage and be shown. Um, do you think uh, do, do you think you'll attend the National show where they debut? Maybe I even exhibit? Know that we're going to be able to hit the requirements yet. I don't have my book in front of me, but I know it has something to do with 35 animals for being on on exhibit for a certain number of years, and we've not been able to do that. It has to be 35 animals on exhibit? Now, uh, with it being in Pennsylvania next year, I'm sure we have a few folks who are thinking about you know, going there for only for display. You know, if only to to exhibit. For myself, I I can't promise anything. Mm-hmm. I can't promise anything. So, so I'm certainly not to well, not to to you know, be just for exhibition. Right. I'd love to, but I don't know if I can convince other people to do it. Let me do it. <laughs> I can try to convince. I'll them. tell them they'll have family there. Excuse me. <laughs> Oh, Tell them they'll have family. family there. We'll have a big old family reunion. Oh, that would be lovely. That would be lovely. You know, get, get some um, mac and cheese, some braised beef. And yeah. if I took all the milkers with me and left him just with the dry stock and the boys, maybe that wouldn't be too bad. 
I mean, you know a few people that would be willing to help you, that's for sure. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, and, and the nice thing is, uh, with how they're shown, uh, with their long hair, it doesn't take too long to get them show ready. Well, except for oh, combing yeah, out that hair. It's a matter of shampooing and bathing and grooming. Yep. Uh, I mean, there's, it, there are type, different types, too. There's very long hair. I've got some that are, oh, my gosh. I mean, they, it's like they have a curtain. And then there, I've got some that are very short-haired. Yeah. But one of John's is, is quite short-haired. Yep. I doubt yeah. you'd ever have to clip her or anything. Yeah. yeah Other I, than cleaning her up a little bit. Yep. And then, well, her hair is starting to come in a little bit longer after I clipped her for show this summer. Um, but you're okay. right. I definitely have one that's shorter haired, and then the other one's definitely got uh, a skirt coming in. Uh huh. So I love the look, and and that's one thing that uh, sets them apart from the other breeds. It's just that beautiful long hair that uh, that oh, well, you, you see in the ring. With the, like I say, with a full long coat. I mean, that would be a sin. That would just be a sin to clip. <laughs> oh, for sure. I you need some good hair product. Yep. I, I use Garnier. Uh, that stuff is the best. Fructose Garnier. Uh, their their hair products are wonderful. Uh, you put me onto that this year for show, and I it's right in my, my show box, so I don't forget it at home. Uh-huh. And it works say, great. Oh, yeah. I say, you put some of that, that, sh- that shine or something on there, and the comb goes through their hair just like... Like the hot knife through butter. <laughs> John, you should try that on the beard. I should oh. try it on my beard. <laughs> you should. You never know. <laughs> uh, so some breeds tend to be easier keepers than others. How do Guernseys compare with their maintenance yeah. that they need? Like I say that was one of the one of the things that the the folks over in England, you know, were were big on. These were easy keepers. They were what people would consider over there as being the perfect backyard goat. They didn't need a lot of, of extra care. Uh, you know, they they lived on uh, oftentimes lived on browse. You see, this animal developed on an island with no human. Uh, Intervention. Let's put it this way. Yeah. It was a natural breed. A natural breed. They had to become very, very hardy and efficient you know, at, at feeding and stuff like that. They, I say they keep, I mean, my, my dry does have nothing but hay. They're fat as ticks. They, 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 are, they are pretty uh, large margins. <laughs> but they also, the people out in England tend to milk them through because they do so well, right? Well, yeah, and a lot of it has to do with, with also with space. You're talking about, these are not big farms over there. A lot of the folks that we went to visit only had a small acreage. They, you know, they had a, a goat yard. Oh, maybe, you know, you've seen mine. Mine's small compared over there. I mean, it might be only a you know, half acre or something like that, and they keep, you know, maybe four to six animals on it. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's a matter of not being, a, you know, not having enough space for a whole lot of animals. 
but then you're talking about you know a small population of people who might be interested in just that breed so you've got a limited market and that's what started me doing every other year breeding because you know especially in the beginning my my market was limited i didn't need 30 some odd kids that i couldn't move right it was easier for me to just you know alternate half the herd breed half the herd one year and the other half the other year and milk them through it also meant that in the springtime when the new ones freshened i never had to rely on on you know milk replacers or anything which I absolutely detest. I hate milk replacers. Me too. Uh, yeah. The only animal I ever had that tested positive for CAE was raised on milk replacer. And when I had them uh, PCR'd, there was no fine. He said there was no DNA at all for CAE on that in that animal. But it was too late. The owners had put him down. Yeah. And it, and it was the replacer that did it. You know, years ago they were saying up at WSU that they were having some trouble with, with this business because the milk replacer is mostly made from cow. And cows, you know, it had to do with, with the, the Yawnies antibodies. Yep. Because the, evidently the Elisa can't tell the difference between Yawnies antibodies and... CAE antibodies. You're talking about a dead whatever cell or whatever the hell it is or organism, let's say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, like I say, this meant that, you know, I always had a milk supply then. Always had a milk supply. Yeah. And, and it works out good for, for me as far as, you know, not being over, especially the older I get, you know, that I'm not being overwhelmed with huge numbers of kids to take care of <laughs> you had quite a few kids this year though when i went and picked up mine there was probably bad. eight or nine there if i uh, remember that isn't bad yeah that's not bad at all and it's Those are pretty good numbers it's smart to milk mm-hmm. them through because i mean like this year i was doing fine milk wise until i had a milker pass away and then I added Aww. two Guernsey kids on top of it. So then it was like, oh my goodness, my does were working hard. <laughs> so I, I think milking through, I mean, that's smart because that way, you know, if anything happens, you have that extra milk just in case. Yeah. And then as the, I say, as the, the eventually uh, those new fresheners catch up and they're able to do more than produce what the kids need and everything. So I gradually just dry the other ones off, the, you know, the, the milker throughs, I dry them off like one at a time or something like that until, you know, they, then they get a year off. And then, speaking of the milkers and the milk, uh, how do, how do you feel it compares to say like the Alpine milk that you used to uh, oh be my. drinking? <laughs> you say, I mean, you know, I, I did Alpine for uh, almost 20 years. So, I mean, I, I mean, I liked my Alpines and everything, but, uh, it was like having a Holstein compared to a, a Guernsey. Guernsey. Yeah, you know, I mean, the milk was, <clears throat> is much nicer. It's richer. It's so sweet. I had a couple of those out there. Their milk is, it's got such a lovely taste and it's so sweet. You'd swear there was honey or something in it. Oh, wow. Do you have, you do the milk test? I'm not any longer. 
I was. I was. Were you? Until about. And I think when my when my uh, milk uh, um, tester. You know, the, the, the district guy. I know what I want to say, and it won't come to me. Uh, he passed away very, very suddenly. Oh, and the, oh I'm sorry. The new guy did not want to be bothered with my little half dozen animals. Hmm. So I was, I was going to ask what your weights were. And well, what, I'll tell you what. what, what the, were. the first classes and the second classes, you want to talk about hybrid vigor. They looked like fools. Uh, I, I kid you not. I mean, they were they were going to town. I had a couple of them that were doing close to four thousand pounds. Oh wow! Really? Oh yeah! Wow! They were, you know, as you know, as you breed up, you know, you're going to lose that hybrid vigor, and you're going to end up getting these animals about the third or fourth generation started getting smaller. Right. You know, the first cross and the second crosses were good size. They were like kind of alpine sized, but then they start getting a little smaller because this isn't isn't an alpine sized right. goat. And as your you know size came down, so did the production come down a bit and everything. But they're still they still do decent. Uh, the two best milkers I have out there right now, and, and I dropped back to milking once a day after I weaned the kids at the end of. In the June, and okay. uh, so I've started milking only once a day. And, and, you know, and those two, they say those two were doing. Oh my gosh, hummingbird was doing over a gallon a day for weeks after that. I could not. I actually had to, and the other one was doing close to a gallon. And we're going through these ninety some degree days and everything. And I thought they're, they're going to kill themselves. So I actually was cutting them back. You know, I, I, okay. I wouldn't milk them out for about three or four days and, you know, not all the way out, you know, make them drop their production back. Right, and that, right. That, that really helped. It, they're still doing, that's, well, the hummingbird's doing close to six pounds a day once a day. And the other one was doing just short of, today she did just short of five pounds. So, okay. I mean, that's enough. I, it's more milk than I know, than I need. Yeah, exactly. It's just you and your husband, Harold, there, so. <laughs> I, and I do, I say, I do make cheese and give it away all over the place. <laughs> right now, I'm tr- I say, the other day I went and traded a, a batch of feta for the gal who usually takes care of the goats when I'm away and everything, you know, she has chickens, so we trade, and her her father, because my pet is the only, the only kind he likes. So. <laughs> well, the butterfat's so high, it's probably super sweet. Oh, it's... It is very, very good. That, I make that, and I make shed every every week or so. I try, and I give to my sister and to all my friends and a couple of people I know. Uh, one gal who's hello. Yeah, we're here. Hello, you there? I ten to one, somebody's trying to get me again. <laughs> um, yeah, that's probably hello. Yep. Yeah, we're here. Okay, well, this thing's acting up because somebody's 
dialing in. A um, couple of people who, who have chefs in the family, so I send them, you know, goat cheese and stuff. I, you know, I'm, I don't sell it. I just give it away. Better than throwing the milk away, and I do that sometimes, too. I hate it. I absolutely hate doing that. Yeah, I, I've tended to keep our kids on bottle longer just because I don't want to have to throw away milk. <laughs> well, these were 12 weeks old by the time I weaned them. Yeah. Sorry, Alice is ready for night-night, apparently. I can hear <laughs> I can hear her crying in the background. <laughs> uh, so, and... sometimes... Uh, this comes up on Facebook and can be a hot topic with uh, some breeders. Um, with the acceptance of Guernseys in Adga, um, some breeders will use non-Guernsey bucks or does, usually uh, does, and create experimentals and then breed them back up to be American Guernsey as they will be here uh, in Adga. Um, being Oberhasley breeders, Nate and I, uh, we've seen how the Oberhasley breed has changed conformationally in a short amount of time for, frankly, the better, um, by using, you know, breeding up to American from other breeds. I know some Guernsey breeders do it now with success. Are there any concerns with this method for the Guernsey breed? Uh, I mean, there's nothing we can do about that. Like I say, it wouldn't be allowed over in, over in England. Right. Uh, if you went and took a, a, a Guernsey, even a bred up Guernsey, uh, a British Guernsey, and then put it to, say, an alpine buck and everything, the offspring would down, drop all the way down to first cross. Right. And then work its way up. Like I say, there is no experimental book over there, so, mm-hmm. you know, their system is a little bit different. Um,. I mean, you just have to. You just have to be very careful because yeah. that's how they had some problems in the Guernsey breed before before it became official and everything. You know, like I say, during the war, the island was occupied by the Germans, and in order, you know, towards the end when the Americans and the British went and cut off their supplies, they started eating everything in sight. Right, and the. Uh, the savior there was was uh, Miss Miriam uh, Melbourne. She, you know, they had the big house. You know, they were the the uh, uh, upper crust of the island. You might say she was the one who started collecting all the golden colored ones and breeding them. Well, in order, when the Germans started confiscating all the livestock and everything, she took her goats and hid them down in the basement of oh, the wow. house. Yep. And even became very friendly with some of the German officers in order to keep her boat safe. So <laughs> it was, it, I always said, her story is like a Disney movie. It sure is. And uh, so afterwards, like I say, then they started you know, importing them into into England. You know. But uh, if it hadn't been for her, who knows what would have happened. Yeah. But yep. she, she, now she tried to improve them too. The first thing she, uh, uh, outcross that she made was to a golden colored Nubian buck. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, it was good for color, good for ears, and bad for udders. And it took them quite a while to get, you know, get rid of that and, and the Roman nose business. 
and then, then some years later, they used a some gal, well, all the alpines over there are, are some gal colored. They used an alpine back who improved those udders and such. But uh, and and actually, the the black kind of improved the gold color. Oh wow! Okay. You know, deepened it and everything. But uh, like I say, you have to be careful of what you do. But you know, like I say, once once you know they were in Adga, I knew I knew there was going to be no way that we'd have any control over what people do. From the very first time I had them, I was contacted by the cashmere people <laughs> and uh, you know different ones because they you know they, they wanted to uh, and the Angora people because they would love to have that color yeah their, their face. and of course now the I guess the the miniature and dwarf people are thinking that they should turn them into little little goats like they aren't little enough. I was going to say. So, I mean, we, we have no control anymore. Right. Now, like you said, when you first started. Yeah, you know, people will do what they want to do. Very true. Um, you Like like you first started, you started with using your Guernsey buck Alpine. on your Alpines. Um, yeah. Did I used you... four Alpines, all of whom either uh, LA'd at uh, a phrase that. 90 and better, or were daughters and granddaughters of those that were 90 and better. Mm-hmm. Which is awesome. That's that's how you want to do a breeding up program like that, is to use the well, best that I, you have. People would contact me and tell them, you get hold of the absolute best animal you can find to start your herd. Yep. And you'll never be sorry. Exactly. Yep. Nate and I have echoed that many times on this podcast. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, get the best you can afford and go from there. Um, mm-hmm. Now, when you were using your alpine does to begin with, would you see any white or anything like that generations down the road? Oh, it's going to happen. Yeah. It's going to happen once in a while. I mean, I the first cross I had, I had a set of, of triplet does, two who were solid gold and a little sister who had a white belt all the way around her. Oh, wow. She also had the oh, wow. best are you ever seen in your entire life. Really? Oh, yeah. She was well worth, you know, having that white belt to get that udder. Her daughter also had the udder and she had some white, she had a white face and I think some side spots. But it's, it doesn't happen often. I have one out here now that has a couple of little splash hummingbird. She has a little splash on her side. Yep, on side. I remember That's her. About it. Yeah, but, she's. You know, hey, the way I look at it, well, I have, like I say, I was in England. I have seen the pure, some of the purebred uh, Guernseys and some of the Amer- uh, the British Guernseys and stuff, and there are some little white spots and stuff, and little white faces and stars and. Mm-hmm. Not, not all. I mean, it happens. But you have to understand, understand the the genetics of white and how it becomes a uh, a masking thing or the white spotting. Uh, Doctor Steinberg has was just talking to one of the other uh, one of the other uh, groups the other uh, on email. 
about this paper that he did. I happened to be going through some stuff and found this paper that he had written many, many years ago and sent me a copy of, and it has in here the genetics of color, including all the patterns and the white spot. Oh, really? Thing, you know, about how the white, what the white spots mean and how they come about. And it's, it's a lot of times it's, it's actually got, it's covering up a color. Let's put it that way. It's masking it. Okay. I, and I, 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 a little, little white spots don't bother me. If it was a, something really big, and that's why we have in the standard about how, you know, anything or such is going to be either a fault or a disqualification. Right. And I've had okay. here, I had two males, both of whom were weathered immediately, who were born, I call it Rex pattern. They look like a Rex rabbit, white with the gold line down the back and spattered spots all over their backs. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Rabbit. Most gorgeous thing you've ever seen, and they were neutered immediately. <laughs> but uh, the first time I saw that was actually up at South Wind in the Purebreds. Really? Little, you know, recessive genes. You can't control them. Right. That's up to you whether you decide you're going to destroy a perfectly good animal because it's got a white spot on it. Right. Me, I don't milk spots so it doesn't bother me <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> well i mean i just solid colored really but i'm not gonna destroy an animal because it has a spot well and speaking with some other guernsey breeders that have used Oberhosley, uh they've said you know sometimes that black can come back uh you know mm. the black chamoise color the will come back you know a generation or two down the road um, it can happen, but it—they've said it's—you know—it's—it's it's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the gold okay, is a super dominant I color. Two, I sold two does to a couple some years ago up in Vermont. Uh, I don't think they're in goats any longer, but uh, I sold them to them bred, bred to some of my good bucks, like good golden Guernsey bucks, and uh, the one came. With two kids that were gold with black legs. Really? You know, I've seen it. I've never seen anything like that. But uh, uh, it, it can happen, evidently, because basically, I mean, a lot of my animals, my alpines were black and white. But the last alpine buck I used on the herd was a chamoise. Okay. So, you know. Right. They're along the line. There had to have been a, you know, like I say, this is, you got to understand about these, you know, uh, these, you know, uh, about re- recessive genes and stuff like that. You know, where, where, how this happens. Right. Yeah. And right. I know, yeah. I know with no, some that, other breeds, they've, that makes they've sense. done a lot of, a lot of, uh, research on, you know, different color variations and all that. Well, we had, had told her, you know, she wants to, luckily both of those, both of those kids were, were males. But in that kind of a case, there's nothing that, I know, under the British uh, uh, thing, there was nothing to stop you from you know, registering that animal as a, 
first cross and starting over because she already had all this in the background, you know, good genes and stuff like that. So, you know, you would just start over right. with her. But Yep, agreed. So, Joan, I've always said to myself, I want to be remembered for something I've done to make dairy goats better. You've done that with taking the initiative to propagate Guernseys all over the country by being the voice to help get this breed recognized by ADGA and by welcoming new Guernsey breeders such as myself to the breed. Uh, It's quite a story that we haven't even touched the surface on with the amount of effort you've put into this breed uh, with getting them recognized and and your start with the breed. I mean, it really is an amazing story, and it's something that I think everybody could look up to with the amount of time you've put into this project. Well, thank you. I didn't do this for recognition or anything. I did it out of love for animals Mm -hmm. and, you know, love for this particular breed of animals. Well, I think all of the greats don't do it for recognition. They do it for their passion. And mm-hmm. I think I think Nate would agree with that. I, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and uh, you know, you've and the knowledge, and you know, anyone who listens to you, you can always learn something more. Uh, I mean, I've been sitting here and not saying much, mainly because I'm listening and learning and and trying to you know soak up everything that that you're saying and um i'll probably you know have to re-listen to this a, a couple times actually and you know catch something else and catch something else the next time and, and uh you know it's there's a lot you know a lot and you're you're there's a lot to this um so yeah i mean it's yeah, it's, it's thank you. It's amazing. Yeah, it really okay. is. I, I know I have people to thank too. Uh, your grandfather, for one, because he was my mentor when I got started in goats. Didn't know yeah. anything. You know, uh, if I had a, had a, a problem or a situation come up, I'd get in contact with him, and he'd advise me what to do. And I've never forgotten the, the advice that he used to always give me. You know, like you know, uh, living by your reputation. That's yep. what I believe. I always believe in you're going to live by your reputation. Yes. Yep. Strong words. They are. Very strong words. Um, now, are any of our listeners going to be able to meet you at convention uh, next year in Syracuse? I'm hoping to get to Syracuse. Uh, I had already spoken to Gloria because Gloria always drives to convention. I said, I'll tell you what, I said, you're going to be coming north anyhow. You can just drop by and pick me up. <laughs> Make a nice um, pit stop. Unfortunately, I won't be able to get to to uh, Tucson this year. So, yeah, be the first one I've missed since what? Well, I guess since '03. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's a record. That is yeah. a record. Holy cow. Oh, well, see, I was I was campaigning the Guernseys just for them yeah and that's yeah that was quite the process um which for the listeners at home how many years from when you started campaigning for this breed until this year when they got recognized how many years were you guys trying to get them in well like i say i i was going to all the the conventions since those three 
And I'm trying to, I can't remember what the date is when we, when we, it was in, oh gosh dang it all, when we were in Colorado was our first, when we did, when Nina and myself and a couple of the others got together and started the, and came up with the, you know, Guernsey Goat Breeders of America. Um. I just, I. I'd have to, well, I know where to look on my refrigerator or all my magnets. Because <laughs> I always get one for every for every every convention I'm at. You're going to need a bigger fridge pretty soon. Yeah. Colorado <laughs> was... Oh, this is awesome. Uh, oh, seven. Wow. Oh, seven. So, so yeah. 13 years. 14. 14. Yeah. 14, it was from 07 to 2021, 14 years uh, before they started being able to be shown. Well, they were, and they were recognized in, I think it was, was it in, when we were in Boise in 15? Yep. I think. Are you sure? Yep, because that was the picture you had with the table set up uh, with all the information 19. about Guernsey's. Uh-huh. Yep. So, you know, when in Boise in 19? Excuse me. Oh yeah, I was there. Boise was in nineteen. Well, it's been twice. It's been in Boise a couple of times. Yeah. More than it has been. Thirteen. It has been. Was it thirteen and fifteen and nineteen? I think it was thirteen. <clears throat> Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, here's the potato. That was Boise. Yeah. So quite, yeah. quite a long time and quite a lot. A lot of people probably would have uh, lost hope after 10 years, but you stuck with it and really initiated oh, yeah. getting this breed going uh, with the American Dairy Goat Association. So on behalf of all breeders, really thank you for getting this breed recognized. I am new to them but i have quickly fallen in love with this breed and have been doing a lot of research uh tyranny and i on uh different lines within the breed that we uh, have available to us in the future so thank you well like i say like there, there were other folks who who helped with this too i mean like i say uh, nina schaefer i mean forget uh, quite a few people who you know helped over the years she did a lot you know to to uh uh, help promote it too. Yeah. Well, it's it's just it's a, it's an amazing story, really one that somebody should uh, take the time and write down all the facts and write a book about it someday because it's it's cool that what you guys have done. Um, and it's, it's just I know when I was at the fair this year, we had an informational board and those Guernseys stole the, stole the show. People were stopping every two seconds, reading the board, looking at the Guernseys. Petting them, it was it was really cool. Well, say I, I like to have people do stuff like that. So, um, I wish I could get to more events, to fairs and stuff like that. But we're just kind of beyond doing that kind of thing. Well, no, you know, I could probably get away. Mister Mister is slowing down considerably, so mm-hmm. it yeah. it gets hard to get away. It does. Even even for younger folks, let alone 
some folks that are enjoying retirement on their beautiful homestead. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> on a side note, uh, my my father-in-law has stated numerous times how much he wants to go back and uh, see Harold's antique tractor collection because he saw pictures uh, from when oh, yeah. from Tierney and, when Tierney and I went and visited, and he's he drools there. He asked to see the pictures all the time. He drools over them. We know anybody who comes here to see about goats ends up being dragged into the tractor barn. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. They're in tractor form. <laughs> Some of my favorite childhood memories are those tractors. It's the deer and goat farm. Right? <laughs> he does have quite a few deers. Um, a few of them. <laughs> just one or two. Uh, Nate, did you have any other questions before we wrap this up? Oh, goodness, no. I'm still processing uh, all this information myself, so I'm sure I'll have questions after ask Joan later, but we're gonna have to make a trip, Nate, you and I, to go visit these these goats and and Joan and Harold, and uh, maybe do an even further uh, further informational uh, interview. Because really, like I said, we scratched the surface. There's so much to this story. It's really awesome. Oh, there is. Um, well, Joan, thank you again for coming on the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. Now you are on Facebook, uh, but generally uh how people can get a hold of you if they want to uh, get into guernseys or get some more information is probably best by email i'd suppose well they can yeah i mean i try to check my email every couple of days but uh yeah i don't spend a whole lot of time on here if they really really uh, want to to contact me and everything i prefer they you know give me a phone call okay and usually on this, I can say here on the house phone because there's an answering machine. I don't answer the phone unless I hear a human being asking about, you know, like Jones, you know, or, or you know, giving me something to, to let me know that they're not a scammer or, or a computer. Right. Well, we won't put your phone number over the interwebs, but if people do want to get a hold of you and want your phone number, uh, it's probably. Add directory or. Yep. Contact me on uh, Facebook or, or email, and I'll give them the number. Perfect. Well, and also, I think I believe your number is listed in the quarterly reports under the pre-registry as well, I believe. Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> so, well, Joan, thank you so much uh, for joining us, yes. everyone. This has been you. Ringside, yeah. an American Dairy Goat podcast. We'll catch you on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.